Welcome to Torch Time Tales Presents Find Your Wavelength, a thought and feeling provoking podcast which explores the spiritual, scientific, and psychic interactions of our realities. Hello and welcome. My name is Florence Faith Matteson. I am the associate producer on the Torch Time Tales production team. I'm here today with Johnny L. Whitmore, the author of Torch Time Tales. Johnny is visiting us today from the beautiful Hidden Valley Lake, California, and I'm joining you from London, England. Good morning, Flo. How are you? I'm good, Johnny. How are you? I'm doing quite well and excited to be here today. Excited to have this conversation. So today our topic on the Find Your Wavelength podcast is what is spiritual development? And I think it would be helpful if we started out with you, Johnny. Could you tell us a little bit about your spiritual awakening and your spiritual path so far? I'll start with the present. I'm clear in my heart and in my spirit, in my mind. We're all connected. We're all related. We appear to share access to an infinite mind. And did I mention the universe is actually interactive? That's what I can tell you now. That's a really interesting thought. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by the universe is interactive? Well, many religions believe there is a divine visitation that each of us will experience in life. In fact, some believe we shall have multiple divine visitations in life. I'm blessed to say that that has been the case for me. And who are these visitations from? Are you talking about God or are there some people in between us and God that can visit us in a divine way? I've had a variety of different interactions throughout my life. One of the youngest experiences I remember is going to the Oregon coast with my parents and asking for time alone to walk along the beach by myself. I was very young and I recognized that represented a risk for them, but they agreed. And in that process of experiencing the beach alone, I was the recipient of a beautiful piece of music, a song that I'd never heard before. And I've never heard since. That's an example. And this song just came out of thin air for you? Yeah, and it was complete. Free what you want to be, you and me for eternity. We're free as far as life can see now. And I would try to sing it, but my voice is nowhere near as beautiful as yours, my dear friend. Thank you. That's a really beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that one with us. Yes, I'm happy to. I remember as a young child, my parents were expecting a host of relation to come and visit. And while they were waiting, they plunked me down in front of a television set to watch a show on Einstein. I was so impressed. Afterward, as my father came to get me to take me out to the patio, I asked him, is there a road map for the mind? My father smiled and shook his head and said no, and then proceeded to share with the relation what I just asked. And of course, they all laughed. However, I was clear in that moment as a child, after seeing everything Einstein has done, that there had to be a roadmap for the mind. And my spotlight went on in that moment. 
And I continued to search. As a teenager, I got very interested in comparative religion. And there were symbols or concepts that I would see throughout different religions, and they would all mean the same thing. I knew that these religions were formed independently, yet they had some really big similarities. Things that were so similar that they weren't just, oh, this this thing is like this thing. And some of these things would be concepts, and some would be religious symbols. And so I said, whatever is the meaning behind this certain concept or this certain symbol, this must be a universal truth. Like how water or air or fire, those are all universal truths. We have them all over the world. These religious concepts, they must also be universal truths that are more like laws of nature than things invented by the human mind. That's a powerful series of statements, Flo. One of the things that I decided was important to do in the naming of Torch Time Tales was to reclaim the torch, for example, as an ancient symbol of enlightenment. But similarly, you speak to our universal mind in a perfect state. C.G. Jung talked about the collective unconscious. He was able to show that the mind has the capacity to connect with knowledge and understanding and memories that weren't ours from our lifetime. When I was growing up, we called this whole realm ESP, extrasensory perception. Nowadays, thanks to the work of Dr. Rupert Sheldrake and other scientists, we might also refer to this as morphic resonance, the ability of sentient creatures to learn from one another across space and time. I've also heard of this as the collective unconscious or more colloquially just referred to as the universe. I think that's how my generation is referring to it, just as the universe. I understand that and I can relate to that. Unfortunately, even the word God has become so laden with one's own particular perspective. And ultimately, this is about perspective. I'd like to go back just a minute to the childhood piece. On the same day, I watched the Einstein program and heard my father tell me there was no roadmap for the mind. I listened to my grandfather tell me he could not remember anything from his childhood. That struck me deeply. And I thought for myself, I do not want to forget the preciousness of childhood. I made a vow to myself on that day that I would try to remember as much as I possibly could. In those months to come, I began to explore with my mother, do you believe in God? Yes, I do so absolutely. Can God communicate with us and can we communicate with God? Again, my mother responded, yes, absolutely. However, if you tell anyone about it, they will tell you you're crazy. That had a huge impact on me. And I have to say, it influenced me throughout my life. I think that is how people thought for hundreds of years. 
And I think now we're in a time where people are more openly sharing their individual experiences with the divine or whatever you want to call it. And I think it is definitely becoming more accepted now. I'm thankful for that. Very, very thankful for that. And I think it's also important that we stop and address those who, for the doubts that they hold, do not have a connection to the divine, to the universal, and explore a little bit why that is. Certainly, I'd encourage folks to get a copy of Torch Time Tales and read it. But there are pieces of this I think will be helpful for us to get into and explain. In your book, Torch Time Tales, there is a chapter that I think is really relevant to what we're talking about right now. Can you tell us a little about the John Ireland story? Yes, I can. I had not met John Ireland before the day he came to visit me. He was in his 70s at that point, and he had been trekking all over Alaska trying to find peace of mind. Eventually, he made it to Homer, and he worked with two adult women healers who had developed their own form of spiritual massage, if you will. They weren't able to help John, but they knew who would. They sent him my direction. In the evening, he came in. I had an opportunity to talk with him, and he explained that he was nearing the end of his life, and he recognized that he did not have peace of mind. He had spent years trekking around Alaska trying to find it, but could not, and he understood I could help him find peace of mind. So I started by asking him if he was familiar with meditation and he suggested he was not. So I got some paper and a pen, and I began to draw a diagram of the human body. And when I offered that there was a simple practice of stilling the busyness of consciousness, I saw light bulbs go off on his face. And he says, that virtually right there tells me everything I need to know. I waited. His response was, as a child, he had been taught that if he ever stilled his mind, he would make room for the devil to come in. So he had spent his entire lifetime in consciousness trying to make sure that never happened. And something so simple as meditation is a huge part of other religions, such as Hinduism or Islam. It is understood as a way to convene with God, but you're saying that in his upbringing in Christianity, it was seen as a sin to still the mind enough for this natural communication to happen. That's right. And one of the things we're going to do in this podcast is to begin to examine the similarities across many religions and also where they have diverged over time. And what do we think the reason for this divergence is? Well, there's something called the Great Schism, which happened in, I want to say, 1054, when the Catholic Church split from the Greek and Orthodox Church. That was one beginning of the divide among them. 
My ancestor, Robert Barclay, was able to read and write Latin, Hebrew, and Greek. And he went back to the oldest translations available and found that there were major errors made along the way and misassumptions inserted that, in fact, he predicted would have a catastrophic effect for Christianity over time. And sadly, I think that we're seeing that play out. To come back to my own story with my mother and her caution to me, I ended up making a conscious choice until well into my early 20s before I ever began sharing any of the spiritual experiences I'd had because I was concerned that someone would label me crazy. I recognize now, decades later, that some would see that as a very selfish act on my part. And in fact, it was. I couldn't realize it as such at the time. It was self-protective on my part. But part of the Torch Time Tales series is to be able to gift my spiritual estate out to the world. So when you say it was selfish, could you elaborate on that a little more? Yes. Ego consciousness is in a struggle throughout lifetime to recognize that this life is the life that it will see. And in fact, its role is minor in the scope of our infinite divine paths. So it was selfish because it was ego-based. I was concerned with my own reputation rather than the greater good of humanity, which could benefit from understanding it is, yes, possible to have divine spiritual experiences within an individual life. And the more that we share those experiences with the others, the greater they will be benefited from hearing them. That's correct. Some suggest even out to the 50th person who hears news of the original sharing will have benefit. That makes a lot of sense to me. I can tell you that to counter that in my lifetime, I proceeded with as much integrity as possible. And I'd like to think my resume in life supports that concept. I took a vow at a very young age to help as many people as I possibly could. I think now's a good time for us to go back to the symbolism of the torch. Can you explain the symbolism of the torch to us? The torch is an ancient symbol of enlightenment. Interestingly, in reading the Threefold Lotus Sutra, one of the things I discovered, Buddha acknowledged that in the eons to come, he would be called by many names as he had been in the past. One of them was Buddha burning light. So the way I understand it, when we say passing the torch, it reminds me of running a race and passing the baton. I think a good way to sum up this torch symbolism and your mission to help as many people as you possibly can, that the fire is knowledge, knowledge you've been given, that's been handed to you, and now you're giving it away. I faced a lot of trauma and hardship. We now know that that is associated with those who see our extrasensory doors open sooner rather than later. 
because the universe and our natural beings are trying to help us to be prepared for what will come at us. So for the example of children of alcoholics, 50% will follow the well-worn path of their drinking family. The other 50% will not. Many children of two alcoholics tend to have those psychic doors opened sooner rather than later. This has been true for me in my experience as a child of two alcoholics and a ancestral tree that has quite a number of them as well, yes. The fourfold noble truths, I think, might be helpful here. All existence entails suffering. Suffering is caused by ignorance, which gives rise to craving and illusion. There is an end to suffering. The end of suffering is called nirvana. And nirvana is achieved by the Eightfold Path. So this idea of the Eightfold Path, what is that? The Eightfold Path encompasses right views, right thinking, right speech, right action, right living, right endeavor, right meditation, and right memory. And with those, one finds one's way. One finds one's way where? To enlightenment. So this idea of enlightenment, we hear it all the time. It is equated to nirvana. And I know that in religions such as Hinduism, it's a lot more accepted for the common man to reach enlightenment. But in a religion like Christianity, we often only think of Jesus as being enlightened. So I think a lot of times in Christianity, people don't ever believe that they can be like Jesus or do the things he did or get to the mind state that he was on. So my question is, this idea of enlightenment, who is it for? Is it only for Jesus and Buddhas? Is it accessible to the common person? Do you have to have a bunch of money? to reach enlightenment? Do you have to have power to reach enlightenment? Who is this available for? I was surprised to find in my deeper dive through Barclay in back into Christianity from whence I too came, that enlightenment is mentioned throughout the Bible and the biblical teachings. And yet there is this belief that it's not accessible to an individual. Buddha and Barclay were both clear. Buddha said, eventually, everyone goes into enlightenment. All of the women, and even the worst of the men, eventually go. He also was quite clear, as was Barclay, that we each have the capacity to find our spiritual way on our own. However, Buddha cautioned that we might end up walking very steep paths when great vehicles exist to help us. So these great vehicles sound to me like they could be entire religions. You can join a religion and it could help you get to this state of enlightenment or even just a text from a religion, such as the Bhagavad Gita or the Bible or the Threefold Lotus Sutra. 
I think a lot of people nowadays are picking and choosing what fits them from different religions instead of adopting entire religions. I really want to say it's important to acknowledge, recognize, and respect every religion on the planet as a path to God. An incredible woman once told me that a circle has 360 different degrees on it. They're all connected in the center. So with this podcast, it's important to recognize this as a contribution to our larger understanding rather than something that is meant to harm or cause irreparable repair among our relations. I similarly feel it's important for each house of worship in the world to recognize that we are all connected. When we stay in our individual perspectives, our language and the semantics of that language, our customs and our outward-facing traditions appear to divide us. A powerful image comes to my mind of a religious ceremony. They have certain customs they're performing. Maybe they're doing a dance in a certain way. And an outsider is looking in saying, oh, they're not doing it right. They're, they're savage. We don't understand this. When in fact, they might practice that very same way of connecting to the divine in their own religion. Just looks totally different, but really is the same thing. This is the image I have in my mind. That's a really powerful analogy. One of the thoughts that came to mind for me to pick back up on an earlier thread of yours around evil. When an animal has contracted rabies and they begin acting violently and aggressively toward other creatures, we understand that rabies is a disease and we don't label them as evil. But somewhere in the process of humanity, that rational thought process has broken down. To look to another human being acting out and to label it as evil, in some respects, lacks the compassion to recognize there's something seriously wrong for that individual. Some combination of stress, anxiety, fear, can create a breaking point for an individual. One of the things that occurred to me to talk about was the Western perspective we all inherit in the Western world. And that triggers for me the question, how many senses do you have? We know that we have five senses. That's what's taught in school, and it's greatly accepted by everyone. That's right. And the sixth sense, as it's often referred to, otherwise known as extrasensory perception or ESP, invokes the mind. The reality is the mind is our primary sense and sensory capacity. And it should be at the top of that list rather than as an afterthought at the end of that list. It's been clear in looking across disciplines that the absence of that prioritization of the mind 
has led to some omissions and errors along the way in our perspective. And this interestingly gets back at that crux of belief or knowledge. For those who have no belief in God, I understand why that is. Once one has had a spiritual psychic experience, that becomes knowledge that's so deep and so real, one will never have doubt again. So see that stuck in consciousness, doubt is where one will be. One must learn to still the busy mind of consciousness to experience true knowledge and extinguish doubt forever. Quickly, what's the difference between belief and knowledge? Belief is a deeply held view that something is believed to be true, but without knowledge, without proof, without evidence that it is in fact real. So someone living in a state of doubt is highly unlikely to be able to leave it short of stilling consciousness. So something can be believed by hundreds of people, but not necessarily be true. But true knowledge is something that is more of a universal truth. So let's come back to the question that was raised earlier around spiritual development. It was explained to me that as I began my path, I would see road signs that would be the same each time I sat to meditate. And as I got farther in my meditation practice, I would see new road signs. Patterns of spiritual and psychic phenomenon will be one of the topics for future podcasts to examine. For me, I can see a path of spiritual development in my life. And to your point, Flo, from earlier, very important from the perspective of reaffirming for our minds and our spirits and the universe when we have these experiences to share them. It will benefit those who hear of the experience and will remind their minds similarly that we are capable of a divine connection. I think when we share our spiritual experiences to other people, it really does let people know that these spiritual experiences are also true for them. I cannot tell you how many times I have <laughs> told a friend of a spiritual experience that a friend has had, and they sort of just go on in a chain. That's right. And that gets very, very exciting for everybody. It does. Yeah. I think that that's a wonderful place for us to leave it today. Well, Johnny, it was great chatting with you today. And thank you to everyone listening. I hope that you learned something new or maybe rediscovered something old that you already knew and forgot. We will be back soon with another episode. If you have any questions for us, please go to our website, torchtimetales.org and scroll down to our contact form and leave us your thoughts. 
You've been listening to Torch Time Tales Presents Find Your Wavelength. If you're interested in finding out more about Torch Time Tales multimedia efforts, which include a book, an audiobook, a series of videos, and interactive social media platforms, please visit torchtimetales.org.